0: Samuel 18, Uh, we're looking at the life of David, verses 5 through 9, and uh, you can follow along as I, I read. Whatever mission Saul sent him, David, on was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing and joyful songs with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry at this refrain, and it displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Well, why don't why don't we pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for uh, the privilege we have to worship you this morning. You certainly are the, the majestic God. The heavens declare your glory, uh, Lord, and we acknowledge that today. Thank you for um, each one that is here today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to your word. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you that we're uh, simply strangers and pilgrims passing through this world. But you have a wonderful place that is um far, far greater than here, waiting for those that know you. And so we we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. We've looked at two messages on the life of David so far. Uh, we looked at an introductory message and basically uh, asked some questions. Well, what's David's name? Or what's his name? His name's his name's David. It means beloved. Where's he from? He's from Bethlehem. And if it wasn't for David, we would probably not know much about Bethlehem. And if it wasn't for Jesus, a little town of Bethlehem, but it was David's hometown. We we looked and discovered that David came from a large family, that his father, Jesse, had at least 10 kids, that David was the youngest of eight, of eight boys. There were at least two girls in that family. David was the youngest of the eight boys we discovered that David was the teenage shepherd boy who was anointed future king of Israel. Now, he was a teenager when he was anointed. It wasn't like till 13 years later that he actually became the king of Israel. So there was a long time period between being anointed the next king and when David took the throne. And God was still preparing David for that job to be the king. And then we also discover that David was an outdoorsman, he was an author, he's written half of the Psalms, he was a poet, he was a musician, David was a warrior, the giant killer. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, and we're going to look at three defining relationships in David's life, three defining relationships in David's life. And uh, the... The Kind of the title in my NIV Bible of 1 Kings 18, I don't know if your Bible has a title to it, on it, but it's Saul's Growing Fear of David. Saul's Growing Fear of David. We already kind of saw it in our little scripture passage that we read this morning. So we're going to look at David's relationship with God, David's relationship with uh, Jonathan, and David's relationship with King Saul in in this uh uh next couple chapters here 18 and 19 so david's relationship with god and uh here's uh here's the key phrase the key to david's success was the presence and power of god in his life why was david such a loved uh, and god used him in a great way although we're going to see that he had he had a lot of uh, uh faults and failures as well but David's success has to do with the presence and power of God in his life. We've already seen that in previous chapters. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, when when David was anointed, and remember his seven older brothers came before Samuel, and God said, Uh, he's not the one, he's not the one, all seven, nope, he's not going to be the next king. And finally Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? And like, well, yeah, the youngest, where is he? He's he's out in the field, go get him. And here comes the youngest boy, this teenage boy, and God says, that's the one. Uh, God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. And David's the only person in the Bible, and it's mentioned twice, he's described as a man after God's heart. Well, why was David so successful? Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 12 and 13. Um, After David is anointed, verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Here it is. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David how oh, God's spirit was on David in a, in a powerful way from the time that he was anointed the king. And so, uh, as David encounters Goliath, he doesn't come in his own strength. And uh, when, he, when he runs to Goliath, he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. His, his strength was in the presence And the power of God. And it was the key to his success. Uh, 1 Samuel um, 18, verse 5, our passage this morning. It says, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. Uh, Drop down to verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because, what? The Lord was with David. And notice the contrast, but had departed from Saul. So here's here's the key to David's success. It's the the presence and the power of God in his life. And of course, we know this is in the Old Testament. That uh, it's a little bit different today. We'll we'll look at it in a little bit. But today, the Spirit of God, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, comes in. And when Jesus in um, John, I think it was John 17. Says, I'll send you a comforter. He will be with you forever. He's not going to leave you. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people and then empowered them for tasks, and then sometimes left. And you see that in the life of of Samson. And so, the the presence and the power of God is is on David. Uh, verse fourteen of 1 Samuel 18. In everything he did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Uh, God's presence and power was on the life of David. Uh, the end of the chapter, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David. So Saul realizes this. Um, verse 30, the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success Then the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. And so what's the, what's the key? The key of David's relationship with God is that he sensed the, the presence and the power of God in his life on a daily basis. Well, David's relationship with uh, Jonathan is the next thing we want to look at. Um, so his relationship with God, um, he had the presence and the power of God in our life, and, and we'll talk about how we can have that too in, in uh, toward the end of the message here. But uh, let's look at David's relationship with Jonathan. Now, we know who Jonathan is. Jonathan was King Saul's son. And in the normal progression of things, guess who would have been the next king, or should have been the next king? It should have been Jonathan, sometime uh, passed on to the, uh, the, the son after King Saul would have um, passed on uh, his kingship. Uh, but Jonathan and David had this unique relationship. If you were on social media and I'm, um, learning what all these things mean, um, it, it would be BFF. That's, they're, if they're texting back and forth, they're best friends forever. But that's what that means. BFF. That was Jonathan and David. Uh, There was this unique relationship with uh, each other. And uh, look at it in uh, 1 Kings 18.1. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is right after he killed Goliath, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as he loved himself. There was this close-knit, close-bond relationship uh, some of the other translations say Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. Uh, the New Living Translation says there was an immediately uh, bond of love between them and they became best of friends. And so Jonathan and David developed this unique, very close friendship. And it's described here in uh, uh, verse First Samuel 18. And God knows... Then david 's going to need a best friend, and we 're going to see why in a little bit, David is going to need a best friend, and uh, that 's true in our lives as well isn 't it i mean friends are are good, but um, the old saying, "A friend in need is a friend indeed, and when we get into trouble in life and when we get into life 's challenges and difficulties. Um, what do we need? We need we need some friends to to rally around us and to help us and to support us, and uh, that was Jonathan and David's relationship. And so, in verse three, it says Jonathan made a covenant with David because he lived him as, loved him as himself. So they they kind of formalized this relationship uh, with a covenant, a promise between each other. And then this is significant. We don't have time to go in into it, but. Then Jonathan gives all these gifts to David. That's sometimes what close friends do, don't they? They, they, they pass on uh, gifts to, to each other. And uh, notice what Jonathan gave to David. He took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic underneath the robe and even his prized possession, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And so here's Jonathan and and uh, he loves David and David loves Jonathan and they cement their relationship with this covenant and Jonathan gives him all sorts of gifts to cement the um, covenant that they had together. One commentator writes, rather than having a sense of jealousy and rivalry... For the one Samuel had anointed to be the next king, Jonathan showed profound love and respect. And ultimately, as I said, Jonathan became that friend that David desperately needed. He kind of came the mole inside of what was going on in the kingdom, in King Saul's life, and he reported it to David. And uh, we'll we'll see that in the, in the coming weeks. And so that's Jonathan's relationship with David, uh, this tight bond of friendship. So uh, David's relationship with God—that uh, was the key to his, his success. Uh, David's relationship with Jonathan um, was uh, a love relationship, a tight, tight, intimate friendship. Well, here's the complicated one. David's relationship with King Saul. David's relationship with King Saul. Shakespeare called jealousy the green-eyed monster. Envy, jealousy. It's one of the seven so-called deadly sins. Pastor Ray Pritchard says, envy or jealousy is unhappiness at the success of others and pleasure at the suffering of others. And that would probably be the the initial word to describe King Saul's relationship with David. And and we read it in our text this morning that um, King Saul began to be very jealous of David because the Israelites were singing, you know, uh, Saul, you've killed your thousands, but uh, David's the greatest warrior now. He's killed his tens of thousands. And Saul became intensely jealous. Proverbs 14.30, the heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy or jealousy rots the bone. And so Saul's relationship with David was characterized by jealousy. Now what's interesting when we think about envy and jealousy in our lives, and we all have the tendency to fall into that, and to, uh, the sin of jealousy, is that uh, we tend to compare ourselves and become jealous of people who are kind of in our same circumstances, in other words, like in our same profession like i 'm not going to be tempted to get jealous of uh, maybe an architect or a builder uh, or anything like that, but um, uh, other pastors easy to to begin to look at other pastors maybe and and how God blesses them and uh, tell you what my my um, one of my college roommates, I had seven of them at cedarville didn't think I was that hard to get along with, but uh, there's backstories to all of them i don't think it was me at least I hope it wasn't but um but one of my one of my roommates and um, my good friend chip and god i god's hand was on chip from even in the, his college days and and uh God has just blessed chip and he's been a, Chairman of the board of trustees at Cedarville University, and uh, has pastored Spring Creek Church in uh, Milwaukee, a large, large ministry that's touched thousands of lives. Um, but here's the thing that kind of that kind of got me um, potentially jealousy wise. Um, I remember when uh, communicating with Chip and found out that uh, he said, "Well, um, I'm now the chaplain of the Milwaukee Bucks." And I'm like, "What?" Yeah, he's like like um, every home game, like ninety minutes before the game, I meet with the the Milwaukee Bucks team, anybody that wants to come, and the opposing team, and and I have like a devotional with them, and then. Like, after the game, and, and I've watched when the Milwaukee Bucks were on national TV, I'd, I'd always watch for after the game, because the believers would go to center court. Now the, the, the national broadcasters, like, the camera would go on it for a while, and then would realize, oh, we're filming people praying, and then they'd move the camera. But I'd always look for, for my, my roommate Chip. And Chip's out there, and they're all huddled together, uh, and they're giving God praise and glory. And I was like, Okay, I want to be the chaplain for the <laughs> whoever <laughs> Detroit Pistons. Okay. But do you see what I'm saying? And 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 so King Saul is jealous of David. He sees David as a threat and so he is he is envious and that jealousy then leads to anger. We would maybe say rage would be a better word. Look at it in 1 Samuel 18:8 eight, after the Israelites are singing this song about how great David is. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. The, the Hebrew word is chara; It means to burn within. And so Saul goes from envy and jealousy to anger. He's angry with David and says he's going to keep an eye on David. From that time on, King Saul kept a close eye on David. Yeah, He, he didn't want him out of his sight. And so it led uh, from envy to anger, but then it went, this is interesting, to fear. Jealousy, envy, anger, and fear. It, it's three times in the text. This is interesting. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So Saul knew some, some dynamics going on here. And uh, Saul was afraid of David. Verse 15. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Uh, verse 18. But David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king 's son in law and that's that 's not the verse I wanted. it was verse uh, actually verse twenty nine um, it says, "Saul became still more afraid of him of david verse twenty nine and he remained his enemy the rest of his days and so here 's this spiral downward. It started with envy and jealousy, which we have to guard against in our lives. It moved to anger it moved to Uh, Fear, but then it moved to um, attempted murder, attempted murder. Um, We're going to just go through this real quickly. Five times Saul tries to kill David. Five times in chapters eighteen and nineteen saul 's solution because he 's jealous he 's angry uh, he 's fearful of david, his solution is let 's kill david let 's kill david and um, when when we think of this progression downward, I was watching uh, Um, the news about a week ago, and uh, the statistic was that uh, 45,000 murders um, in the United States in 2021. And I wonder how many of those murders, I imagine a good percentage, have to deal with a relationship, jealousy, anger, rage, murder. And that's that's the downward spiral. Uh, Philip uh, Keller, in his commentary on this passage, says a dark, morose, angry mood settled upon Saul's soul. Deep depression engulfed his spirit. With burning malice, Saul saw David as one desired um, to cap uh, to capture the loyalty of Israel and supplant him as their king. Saul was demented. And in torment of spirit. So here, here we are with that said. Uh, let's go to uh, verse 10. Here's attempt number one. The next day, verse 10, the next day after he heard this song, uh, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Now, when we read that, that, that phrase right there troubles us. Why would God send an evil spirit on Saul? That's, that's a good question, and I don't know if I have the exact answer other than to say that God is sovereign and um, he's in control of everything. And as Martin Luther once said, even the devil is God's devil. In other words, God can even use Satan to accomplish his purposes. And, and I think that's a little bit what's going on here in the big picture. And so this evil spirit comes on Saul and it says he was, um, let's see, this is first uh, Samuel 18 verse, verse 10. It says an evil spirit came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall but David eluded him twice. <laughs> David, here he is, he's, he's playing the music for King Saul and, and, and it w- would soothe his spirit, but in this particular occasion, once he got jealous, he's got a spear next to him, and twice he throws it at David and David dodges the spear. Well, that's attempt number one. Uh, attempt number two is to have David killed in battle. And so... Uh, he, King Saul promotes David to a, a high position in, in battle, and he sends him out into fighting the Philistines. He's going to give his daughter a, 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 as a reward to, for, for David, for uh, these great victories, and that's uh, the background and the context here. And it says, Saul said to David, "Here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely." Verse seventeen, and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, "I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that." In other words, I'm going to send David out into battle, and um, we'll let the enemy do it. We'll let we'll let the Philistines kill him, and then and then I'm kind of off the hook. And so that was attempt number two, and 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 uh, David uh, comes back, and um, Saul deceives him. He doesn't give Merab to David as as a wife. He gives him this her to somebody else. And so um, again, Saul tries to trick uh, David into going into battle and getting killed, and he promises his daughter Michael uh to to david and so um here here is uh, the message to david and uh, there's been a lot of strange um dowries all down through uh, history you know what the dowry is what you give to the father of the you know woman that you want to marry and uh different cultures have different things this is this is the strangest one when Saul's servants told him what David had said, verse 25, Saul replied, Say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. There's the dowry, David. Go out and kill a hundred Philistine men, and then you can have daughter Michael. And so the story says David goes out with his men. He doesn't kill just 100. He kills 200, <laughs> and he brings back the dowry, and Saul gives... Um, Michael to David, but uh, David's not killed in battle. And that's the that's the second attempt. First um, Samuel 19, 9 through 10, uh, Saul tries to spear David again. And when he's playing the um, harp or the lyre in front of uh, Saul, again, uh, let me read it. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. He says he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Maybe that would be my first clue if I was David that this isn't, you know, why is Saul sitting here with a spear in his hand? Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. We don't have time to look at the other two, but two other occasions. Saul tries to kill, kill David. Uh, on the fourth one, he sends men, um, to his house where David's living with his wife, Michael, now to kill, kill David. And Michael finds out about this. And so, uh, she helps David escape before the men come. In fact, um, she, if you've ever seen, uh, it was really one of my favorite movies, Escape from Alcatraz. Remember those guys made this, like, little model of, like, themselves and they were in, the, in the beds when, after they made the escape so they think they're still there. That's what Michael, Michael did. Um, she made kind of a, a little bit of a, a model of, uh, of David. And, um, when they came, um, to, to get him, uh, it says, but when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed and at the head was of some goat's hair. And so she made this image of David to make him think that he was there when he was really gone. That was attempt number four. Attempt number five is in 1 Samuel 19. David flees to Ramah to consult with Samuel, and Saul and his buddies come out to try to kill David, and it doesn't happen. Five times King Saul tries to kill David. And so um, Ray Pritchard commenta- commentary on this, he writes, um, five times Saul tried to kill David, five times he failed, he tried directly, he tried indirectly, he tried through trickery, he tried sending his soldiers, he tried to do it himself, and it didn't succeed. Part of the reason for that is that David is God's anointed one, isn't he? David's the one through whom, what, the Messiah is going to come, and so God's protective hand was on the next king of Israel and ultimately uh, the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Well, it's interesting that um later on in the storyline and we'll look at it in the weeks to come that, that David has a chance to kill King Saul twice. He doesn't do it. He says I he he could have exacted revenge, but he says no, I am not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And so David's relationship with God, David's relationship with Jonathan and David's complicated, demented relationship with uh, King Saul Um, is laid out for us in these two chapters. And uh, what we want to do this morning, just in the next uh, seven or eight minutes, is think about um, some life lessons here. And there are three of them that we want to uh, share. So here's the first one. Uh, Just like David's success in life and God prospering him was because of his relationship with God, the key to success in our lives is what? The presence and the power of God and and we have this great um advantage now because in uh since pentecost the holy spirit doesn't like come and go if you know Jesus as your savior the spirit of god lives within you 1st corinthians 6:19 don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the holy spirit who is in you and so what do we have we have the The same um, presence and power of God in our lives. The Spirit of God lives within us. As Jesus said, he will be with you forever. He's not going to come. He's not going to go. And so we have access to God's Spirit who indwells uh, within us. And... um, Here's the here's the key. It's uh, it's not a matter as a believer of us getting more of the Holy Spirit because He, as a person, uh, indwells us. Uh, the whole question of God's presence and power is allowing the Holy Spirit to have more of us, isn't it? Having more control, and that's the Ephesians uh, that passage. Uh, don't be drunk with wine in which is excess. But here it is. Keep on being what? Filled, controlled, influenced by the Holy Spirit. So just as too much alcohol affects the way we think, uh, what we say and what we do, uh, literally we could say, don't be filled with spirits, be filled with the Spirit. And let God's presence and power um, direct your life. And so um, that's uh, that's lesson number one and uh, we just celebrated that independence day July 4th um, but as believers we need to live in dependence two words independence and we're dependent on god and his holy spirit so here's a, here's the second one um, from this passage and it's this friendship is a gift from god James 1:17 every good and perfect gift comes from above And uh, one of the great gifts that God gives us is friendship. And we see this friendship between Jonathan and David that really um, helped David survive the, the murderous attempts of King Saul. Solomon writes about the benefits of two friends, two people rather than just one, Um, I've read this at many wedding ceremonies. Solomon writes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. If two lie together, uh, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And so uh, Solomon says, hey, there's benefits in, in two people. There's benefits in friendship. You can get more work done. And uh, you're stronger uh, if you get attacked. And so uh, friendship um, is a gift from God. And I hope, my prayer is that you have some good friendships in your life. Um, friendships take time. Um, Proverbs says a man that has friends must show himself friendly. Um, sometimes for outgoing people, if you're an extrovert, that's a little easier um, introverted people sometimes have a little more difficulty making friendships. But friendships are essential in our journey through life. David Smith, in 1983, wrote a book, uh, interesting title, The Friendless American Male. And as he looked at the social structure of America, I uh, discovered that uh, sometimes um, men... Do not have a lot of friends. And so he, uh, he writes about five components of friendship. A mutual loyalty, commitment, interest, a mutual acceptance, and unconditional love. I remember years ago, this is a long time ago, at, uh, my previous church and, uh, we had a fellow in the church, uh, him and his brother attended the church, and uh, the one brother um, struggled with uh, addiction, um, drug addiction. And uh, so um tried to encourage him and met with him a couple times and then uh, got to the point where um, he was going to enter into a a therapy, a drug addiction therapy place, and it was up, actually it was in Chelsea, and he asked me to drive him there and so i drove him there and they're going through the intake process and i'm sitting there and they're asking him all sorts of questions and then um they asked him the question um about friends and they said who's who's your best friend Do you have a best friend i think they wanted a contact person and he kind of stumbled for a little while and finally he pointed at me <laughs> i'm thinking I'm your best friend? I didn't know that. I mean, I've been friendly to him. I've been trying to help him, but he had no one else in his life. The friendless American male. Let me encourage you, men and women, to invest your life in friendship. And the time will come where that will, um, will, will pay off. And we'll encourage you. And what got David through, it was friends in life. So it's a gift from God. And um, this leads us right to point number three. Our, our greatest friend, though, is God himself. But here's our point, uh, third point. Contentment in life frees us from the downward spiral of jealousy and envy in our life. So this this potential draw to be envious and jealous of other people. And it's interesting, when we compare ourselves, we always tend to compare ourselves to people who maybe have it better off than we do in our view. Uh, But what, what delivers us from that? What should have stopped King Saul from that downward spiral of jealousy? It's contentment. The characteristic of contentment in our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about contentment. And we'll just close with a couple of verses here. Philippians 4. Paul's writing from prison. Can Paul be content in prison? He was. And he writes about it in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Here's the key. I have learned the secret of being content. So this, is, this didn't come naturally to, to Paul. It doesn't come naturally to us. He, I've learned to be content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things who, through Christ who gives me strength. And so um, Paul's contentment was not in his place. It was not in his position. Paul's contentment was in a person. This is because I have Jesus. Whether I have a little, whether I have a lot, whether I'm free to preach the gospel in the the, uh, uh, outdoors and wherever God leads me, or whether I have to preach the gospel in prison to a Roman soldier, um, I found contentment Regardless of my circumstances, First uh, Timothy chapter six, Paul writing to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we can be content with that. Now, there's nothing wrong with ambition in life and wanting to to uh, move ahead, but. Uh, here Paul says to me, hey, you got some food on the table? You got some food in your fridge and freezer? You got some clothes in your closet? Oh, my word. My wife's always telling me, you need to go through that closet, you know, because I, I never throw anything away, and so I've got, like, all these clothes. We're, we we have so much in our culture. Uh, having food and and clothing, be content. Hebrews chapter 13 Verses 5 and 6, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. says, Um, you know, you drink of this water, you're going to get thirsty again. But he said, anyone who drinks from the water that I give will never thirst again because you will find contentment and satisfaction in Jesus you know i'm thinking about my visit with paul bigelow yesterday and i've seen this this cycle of life and you know maybe um, you start out life and you go on your own and uh, you're in a you're in a small apartment and you have everything in a um I basically started in a one bedroom um a very very small apartment in Grand Rapids uh started out our married life there in student housing and you know and then you move on to a house and then you move on to bigger things and then we have to rent storage units because we have so much stuff and then as we get toward the end of life we start to downsize and move to a smaller place and I can't tell you Um, certainly dozens and dozens of people that I visited in in nursing homes, assisted living, and it all comes back down to what? All your stuff is in one room. And where do you find contentment? It's not in the things of this world. It's not in the gifts of this world. It's in the giver of gifts. It's in God himself. And so the secret to uh, envy and jealousy is contentment, and that is found in Jesus. Well, we'll continue with our study of David in the weeks to come, and uh, David's uh, life is fascinating, and uh, we're going to learn some more truths from, uh, from his word next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you for the Spirit of God that lives within us. Uh, that indwells within us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be reminded of that every day and may the Spirit of God have uh, uh, influence and control of our life and what we think and do and say. And Lord, we thank you as well for the gift of friendships and uh, how that can encourage us through life's journey. Thank you for the model friendship of Jonathan and David in Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would um, uh, invest in... Uh, friendships and relationships um, right here uh, in our own local church and in our uh, communities and where we uh, live, and uh, we pray that uh, you will bless us with great friendships. And then, Lord, we thank you for the gift of contentment. Lord, whether we have a little or we have a lot, um, we have you, and we thank you for um, the blessing of Jesus, uh, the blessing of eternal life that uh, we can find true contentment in you and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.